kicking off, we're kicking off this great new series called Thoughtful Thursday with you as our special guest. I love this approach, especially to launch it with someone who has such a powerful story to tell himself and who has turned his therapist career into helping other couples face this really stressful situation when it's hard to have a baby. So let's start with you, Brandon. What, you know, what's your background? How, you know, can you give us a little bit of insight into your path to parenthood? Yeah, so it started around 2013 when, you know, when you finally graduate college and you think you're settled into your career and you're married and you're ready to go on this lovely path to parenthood. And so after 2013, it took a little bit and people kept saying, be patient, be patient. But my I wife, <laughs> I know. And my wife, she went and got tested and she was normal. And so actually she got tested twice before I joined the fight. Wow. And my thought was, I come from a fertile family. That's such an ignorant thought now. Mm. But um, at the time, I'm like, nothing's wrong. We always get pregnant. So I finally went. And my doctor, after asking about my wife, asked me to, he referred me to a urologist. That urologist ended up, after the sperm sample, ended up sending me to another urologist. And that urologist told me that I had asthma sperm. Wow. No sperm in the, sp- in the sample. Just fragments. Just fragments. Right but nothing whole. And of course they can do a biopsy, but the chances that they'll find one was 20%, I believe he said. Mm. And I just didn't think it was worth it if the odds are so low. So um, after this journey and dealing with the emotions behind it, which probably helped extend the time we took to actually have our child, we end up um, develop, not developing, adopting our son. Oh, amazing. Yes, who is now three and full of energy. You might oh, hear that's awesome. <laughs> You might see my seven and a half year old <laughs> pop in too. <laughs> Telling me we're taking too long. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Brandon, gosh, that must have been, that must have been so incredibly hard to hear that news. What was it like right when you heard those words? Like asospermia, did you know what that meant before you even went to the appointment? I did because... I ended up doing a lot of research um, mm. and trying to find other men who weren't fertile. At the time, there were, I don't want to say there was no one, but the information was very limited. And the one person I came about came upon was a dad who did donor. Mm. And so I looked at his blogs. And after that, um, that kind of helped me with the diagnosis part. Yeah. But once I found out the information after the third um, sample and the second uh, ultrasound, mm-hmm. the wife and I went to a restaurant and I just cried in the restaurant. Wow. And I'm not a crier, mm-hmm. but I just couldn't believe the fact that I couldn't have children. We were, I was the reason that we couldn't have children. Not that I wanted her to be a reason, but it was just like it was hopeless at that moment. <clears throat> And because it was hopeless at that moment, I just didn't know what else to do. Yeah. 
And as soon as I got to work that day, because I did go to work, maybe a little later than I should have. But as understandable. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and one, a couple of the female co-workers said that they were pregnant. Oh. And I was like, oh, I'm going Oh my goodness. I'm just burying myself in this computer. Wow. So it was devastating. And having to talk about it afterwards was even harder because you have to go through the diagnoses and Mm -hmm. you have to actually embrace it or begin to accept it. And it took a while to actually accept it. Um, So we continue to try naturally. And of course it didn't happen. And lots of silent treatments, lots of days where I was just depressed and didn't want to talk and zoned out to, it was football season, but I wasn't watching the games. And I was just existing. And I remember one argument where <clears throat> it was probably the pivotal moment in the infertility journey is when I told my wife to go. Go and be with someone who can have children, who will make you feel like a mother, and I'll just live my life as a nomad. Oh my gosh. She, um, I was actually on the floor when I said this, I was on the floor crying. Mm-hmm. And she got down on the floor with me, hugged me and said, I didn't marry you because of children. Mm-hmm. I married you because of the man you are. And I said, right now, I don't even believe I'm a man. Mm-hmm. And so that whole um, journey and depressive state is overwhelming. And eventually she's like, you need to see a therapist. And I'm like, I'm a therapist. I'm not going to see a therapist. <laughs> I thought every therapist always wants to see a therapist. <laughs> I thought yes. that was part of your profession. <laughs> it, it is. Um, I'm a lot more accepting to it now, but my mm. ego is still there. Of course, of course. And I was hurting. And then she said, yeah. okay. like, you know what? You're right. And um, I probably got some other issues I should resolve as well. Mm. So I looked in our state and I found three were all women who specialized in infertility therapists, but for women. Wow. Not a single uh, man in your state. No. I was like, this is hard. Wow. And I, that's when I think I found out about Resolve. Mm-hmm. So I looked on Resolve and tried to look and I'm like, it's all, not all women, but it's majority women or insurance sure. undercovered anything state to state. And so I was like, okay, no man should go through this journey alone, which is when I added to my therapy practice. Right. Like, pain and how long that it took to actually accept it and move forward could have probably been shortened some. I mean, our journey in total took six mm-hmm. years, but it probably could have been shorted if we would have, if I would have had someone to talk to or right. deal with the emotions of it. Well, 
I'm a crier and that I'm, I'm choked up listening to that and thinking about the weight of that and the years of depression and not having the right resources. And also the, the strength and courage that your wife has expressed for standing up and saying, no, I'm a stand for you. And I, I love her already. (laughs) I love her already. So we'll have to have her on too. She seems absolutely amazing. And you know, this is the thing, you know, women, we, we, you know, we have this community on Instagram because we seek that out, you know, and we seek out each other on Facebook or on Instagram or find support groups and everything. But this feels like a black hole for men. And in part, I'm hearing from you that we were lacking resources and we still probably lack resources that are specific to men and specific to the male equation, specific to your coping whether you're the source of infertility or not, right? Whether it's your disease or your wife's disease, I feel like we don't have a ton of resources to help the male part. And so that, Brandon, coupled with like the natural inclination for every man, I feel like to say, not every, but a lot of men to say what you said, which is, I don't need to go to the therapist. (laughs) (laughs) how do we break through this? I mean, how do we add, you know, for, you know, 50 or a hundred of you across the country. And then how do we break through? How do we encourage the women who are listening right now to break through to their husbands to say, no, this is a safe place. You actually have a right and the, and the need to talk this through. Um, in general, I think men need to learn that therapy is safe for them as well. And they're not being judged. Mm. Um, I'm starting to find that more and more men are coming to therapy. Amazing. Um, however, infertility is still a push. The women are still pushing that part. Right. And I think it's a subtle embarrassment that comes with it um, for the thought that they may be less than a man or it's hard to talk about the genitalia. Right. So I think we just need, keep need to be vocal about it and push mm-hmm. them towards it and show them that there are people out there with this experience, um, such as I, and there's others. Um, <clears throat> I know the man cave is one that I'm thinking of. There's mm-hmm. um, the male infertility podcast. Mm-hmm. And I just did one. Um, I just met a gentleman by the name of Eric and him and his wife run a childlessness um, podcast. Mm. Oh, wow. And as long as men start to open up and show their vulnerability and that it's okay, I think we'll start to get there. Mm. From a medical standpoint, I think we need to be included more. Mm. Once um, I found out the problem was me, it no longer came about me. The doctor's like, okay, well, we're done with you. Let's see what we can do to your wife. Wow. It's... um. She has that's incredible. I hadn't even considered that or heard that before. Yeah. And they didn't they didn't say that, but that's the way I felt. Sure, of course. I don't want to throw anyone under the bus. Right. But even with same-sex female couples, you can do reciprocal IVF to help include both right. Both parties. And in your situation, I totally get how that could feel that way where suddenly you're you're dismissed or you're not as necessary and, or, you know, then it's sort of less about the partnership and just about the medical procedures. And if you were considering a donor, even less so, right. 
that there's suddenly like less decision-making together, less consultation together. That had to have been we, really difficult. It was because we did try IUI before we adopted. Mm. And um, I think selfishly that was more on me because mm. I really wanted her to experience being pregnant. Aww. It's really like the rite of passage for women. It's like mm. motherhood is a thing but the pregnancy is part of it. Yeah. And um, even then it was, I picked out the donor sperm, mm. but it was still, she had to go to the hospital. I mean, I thought mm. the doctor, uh, I have a whole new respect for women when they go see the gynecologist, by the way. Mm, thank you. That's invasive. Fair. <clears throat> But watching her do that mm-hmm. and being there and still feeling powerless and all the questions are going towards her right. and then having to get her home and, you know, lie down, try not to stress her out and the pain of it not taking. Right. So it was still, focus was still on her always mm-hmm. and how is she feeling? And even amongst friend groups, it was always assumed that she was the one. And I think that's when I found my voice. It's when I got tired of sitting back and letting her talk about it and act as if she was the one. And I said, guys, it's me. And she's, well, there's no blame at all, but she isn't the one, but we're working on trying to parent her. And we had visited a few adoption agencies at the time and said, this is our path. Mm-hmm. it's far from my wife it's it's only how did those conversations go they got silent really fast <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> they needed a brandon to tell them how to handle the moment <laughs> <laughs> exactly oh my goodness you know and everyone became i guess sorrowful mm. and i said don't feel bad it's it happens. And as I think back in my family, I'm like, it has happened. Why didn't anyone talk about it? Wow, this? you're kidding. So you came from this family thinking that you came from this very fertile family. Right. But and you then, learned later that there were other issues. Exactly. So I'm going through this journey and now everyone is starting to tell me. And yeah, this person has adopted and this person um, decides to live childless. And this wow. person always struggled, but always wanted to be a parent. I was like, why didn't you tell me? This was, oh my um, goodness. it would have helped me deal with it a little bit better. Of course. And cope with it a little bit better. Um, knowing that it's possible with just genetics and I'm the lucky winner of the infertility. Wow. So this was, this was all male factor when you started to have other family members open up to you. Yes. That, isn't that incredible? Several one, but mm-hmm. it was, and I was like, okay. And that's supposed well, to and, you know, we also we hear about this in a lot of families culturally. And um one of our dear friends in the company who's also part of the Fertility Alliance, um, Lauren, who runs Endo Black, said in her African American family you didn't talk about periods. It wasn't ladylike too. 
you know, and I imagine I'm thinking through the male side of that. Like, why would you talk about your ability to conceive, especially your ability, the lack, if, if it's not there to the ability to conceive, right? Exactly. So how do you, how do you break that down in like the family structure? And also kudos to you for having the courage to, to acknowledge it, right. And to get the conversation going. Exactly. Um, as we started talking about it, um, everyone was in denial. Once I accepted it, I accepted it. Everyone else was in denial. Oh, ironic. Wow. And, well, it's not going to happen. And this is our next step. And this is what we're going to do. And slowly, I began to have different people just ask me questions. And instead of being defensive about it, I had to learn that they just don't know. And mm. now it's time to educate them. And even educate them on the fact that I don't know all of the answers at the moment. And still trying to figure it out. Because I'm going through it. It's painful. And... Sometimes it's difficult to talk about um, at that time. And I talked to her cousin and she was like, yeah, that was the problem with my husband, my ex-husband. I was like, really? She was like, yeah. Like, why didn't you say anything years ago? Wow. And she said, I didn't know how. But for years I wanted to get pregnant and come to find out he was the one. And he didn't say anything. And so me and her just started talking more and she became someone I can talk to a little bit more about it. And I also had another cousin who was also going through an infertility struggle, um, which they overcame through a medical procedure. <clears throat> and just having those family members to rely on mm -hmm. and um, having everybody else just ask it. I have a big family, so people <laughs> ask us if they, when they were ready. Mm. So on your website, you talk about radical mental health and it's, I'm, I'm picturing that all these conversations are actually radical mental health within the family construct and then within your social circle construct. And then, and then you, you, you made it your practice, your therapy practice. So what, what was that pathway like, you know, as you started to find your voice and use it, what did that path to transforming your practice and kind of really opening it up to support men through their own infertility journey, what that look like? You know what? It actually happened at a resolve, con um, not concert, conference. Sometimes they feel like concerts. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but there was this, I went and I went by myself. Mm. I couldn't remember what the wife had to do, but she she already had plans, so I ended up going to the conference by myself as an attendee. Um, and in that conference, they had this men breakout session. Mm. Um, the problem with the breakout session is that all the men were fertile. Oh, and wow. Different pregnancy issues. And so um, I was like, this is still not fair and we're still not getting the word out. But at that right. conference, I met um, a therapist who specialized in infertility and we had a great conversation. And I was like, you know what? 
can do this. Mm. Um, and obviously men need support because I was not the only infertile male in that room. Of course not. There was no one to speak for us. Mm. So um, I got to know the resolve coordinator. Uh, and we have talked and developed a relationship. So the next year, I'm like, can I be on the panel as someone for male infertility? Because there are men suffering, mm -hmm. yet no one's talking about it. And that's um, when I really start to begin to solidify my practice in infertility and focus on infertility. Because the second time I went as a panelist, that room was overflowing. And wow. first year, it was about eight of us in that room. Every chair in the room was full the second year. And men just had questions and wanted to know how to do it. And once I said I was infertile and these are the problems that I go through and the problems that the wife and I went through, they just started opening up about different things and trying to find a therapist in their area because it was in Minnesota at the time. Mm -hmm. They're from all over the state or different parts of the region. And they just really wanted to like get help. Mm -hmm. Great, so I need to find a way to be broader. We can always meet online and talk and go through the uh, grief and loss process of infertility. So is that, do you have a structured way that you take men through that grief and loss process? Because I imagine that's the thing. I feel like we come into the world not really having a process to follow when we're going through these monumental, monumentally stressful situations where there is a letting go and there is a grieving process that we have to endure. Yes. The first step is getting on one accord with your spouse. Mm. And I think that's the most important part because without it, you're in, without spousal support, you're not going to get through it. So getting on one accord with your spouse, learning to make these tough decisions, learning to communicate with each other is the very first step. Then we walk through the grief and loss process. So denial, bargaining, anger, depression, and acceptance. And after that, we go through the uh, family planning stage. What do you want to do post um, therapy or how will you guys make your decision or how to make that? All depending on where the man or the couple is at, or in some cases where the woman is at. Um, and so that's the general process. And really just helping them overcome the emotions, or not overcome, learn to deal with it because it doesn't go away. Probably learn to name them, I would imagine. Like, I, I you know, we all have to name the emotions right? To be able to even yes. know what, if, what am I actually feeling? Exactly. And the fact that these emotions jump around, it's not like it's a consistent. Right. It's not linear. Pattern. Yeah, exactly. So they jump around. One day you might feel really great. Like, Nothing's wrong with me. Then another day, the next day you might like, the world's going to end. Well, yeah. So, and, and even yeah. No, go ahead. No, you, please, you finish that thought. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say so you have to teach people also how to deal with the roller coaster of emotions that's going to come. Right. And sometimes how to just sit with it 
What do you notice is the transformation of the men that you work with, you know, from coming in in denial and probably defensive maybe, or if they have walls up or, you know, they feel shame or what do you see as a transformation where they move from that grieving process to the path of acceptance? The biggest transformation is knowing that they're not alone. Mm. Um, The biggest problem with infertility in general is that when you're going through it, everyone feels like they're alone and that they're the only person going through it. The reality is we're one in eight. And once you realize that you're not the only one and that someone actually understands you, you begin to become more accepting of the process and accepting of the journey. And you recognize the emotional difficulties, but you don't let them stand in your way. Mm. Do you... And do you find that, that in the beginning you have to like work really hard to get men to open up or are they just so relieved to get to you that the floodgates open? It depends on the male, actually. Uh, um, if it's always easier when they're with their wife, cause the wife just tells it. <laughs> like she just says it and. He's like, yes, that's how I feel. Yep, and that's, it, that's it. Talk about <laughs> it. And then some men come in there really ready. Yeah. They're like, I can't continue to struggle. Mm. But, and I'm nervous about seeing a therapist and talking about this, but I have to talk about it. Right. And then some men are like, I want to talk about it. I don't know how. Mm-hmm. And you just might have to lead me into a couple. And that happens all the time. It's just wow. taking note, taking note, and where they accept their journey and how they hand how they handle problems within their own life. Mm-hmm. So you get to see that insight as well. So when it comes to someone who's newly diagnosed or someone who's in our audience who has a husband that just found out that he's he has male infertility, what what is your next best piece of advice? Where where should they turn? immediately depending on where they are um i want to say facebook groups um they tend to be big but they also tend to be women Mm -hmm. Um, and even the male infertility groups that are all male they're quiet and you get Uh, random random pop-ups right so um but well, the they need to find you. Group, yeah, that's the second thing. Like, reach out to me. Yes, <laughs> I exactly. I do have openings. And so if they want to reach out to me and talk to me and even DM me and ask me questions, I'm more than willing to ask. Or right. um, look on my YouTube channel. And that's Brandon.therapist as well. Oh, great. And, okay. You know, on there, I tell my story. I tell different struggles. Um, the latest one I put up is mistakes I made during IUI. Oh. And it's letting you know this isn't easy and it's not perfect. You're not being judged and someone is out here who understands. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, I can't wait to do more of these live chats with you, Brandon, and have your wife on too. Um, yes. We had a little bit of rocky audio, but that's okay. We're going to figure it all out. 
Um, we, you can follow Brandon at brandon.therapist. You can go on his YouTube at brandon.therapist as well. And tell everybody what your website is so that they can find you there too. It's infertility isn't inferior.com. Infertility isn't inferior.com. Love it. You're such an inspiration. Thank you for being vulnerable with me and honest. And thank you for the amazing work that you're doing and for being that powerful voice in the community. We'll see you hopefully very soon, Brandon. Yes, and thank you for having me on, Alice. Of course. I can't wait for the next time. Thanks, everybody. Sure. Thank you. Bye-bye. Tammy, let me just say bye to Brandon and then we'll go to dinner. Well, to go to meet you and then call back to me. Oh, okay. Thank you, <laughs> Um, you did great. That was, did